Father, speak to us. You speak to us, Lord. Holy Spirit, I yield to you my mind, my tongue, my emotions, my hand, my feet, my whole being to be an instrument in your hand to speak the word of God today. In Jesus' name, amen. It was the last six days of Jesus' earthly ministry. It was the Sunday, the first day of the week leading in to Passover, to Pesach. Jesus was on the Mount of Olives at a small community that's about two and a half miles from Jerusalem called Bethany. You may remember it as being the home of a brother and his two sisters, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Jesus is going to enter into the city, and he sends two of his disciples ahead of him to go into the city to get a colt, to get a donkey that has a colt, and to bring the two of them to Jesus. Jesus mounts the colt. Scripture lets us know that it had never been ridden. That had to be an interesting moment. He mounts this colt that's never been ridden. And he goes into the city riding this colt. As he does, crowd gathers, and they begin cheering and waving palm branches and shouting and cheering. Blessed is he that comes, the son of David, Hosanna in the highest. And they're shouting and they're praising. It is like a victorious king coming back to his capital city after having won a great victory. Indeed, that is exactly what is happening. The king of kings is coming into his capital city. It's an amazing scene. But here's the curious thing. The priests... They're Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawyers, the scribes. They are furious. They are angry. And some of them are so bold as to come up to Jesus and say, you command them to shut up. Jesus turns to them and says, I think it's Matthew that records this part. He turns to them and says, if they're silent, the very rocks will start crying out. Back in the 90s, there was, a, a, there was kind of a funny little chorus. I, I love to sing. It, 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 it said, uh, ain't no rock going to cry out in my place. As long as I'm alive, I'll glorify his holy name. Amen? I'm not going to let rocks do my praising. Come on. Come on, right? And, and, and so Jesus just could. And, and the more the crowd goes off, the more furious the priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees become. It's, it's, a, it's a very interesting scene. But you see, a week earlier, Jesus had been at Bethany also. But this time when he arrived in Bethany, there was no cheering. There was no, it was mourning. Because four days earlier, he had received word 
from the sisters, Mary and Martha, that his friend Lazarus was very ill at the point of death. And Jesus did a very interesting thing. He didn't jump on his horse right away and run to Bethany. He waited. Lives on the scene. Of course, Mary and Martha made him just been here on time. Jesus, Lazarus would not have died. And Jesus made the resurrection. Whoever he walks and calls him out of huddle. Do we train this man? He if we that year. That's an interesting statement, right? Caiaphas, the high priest, that year. Well, the reason they kind of won, he's sharing it with his father-in-law, Annas. And they kind of won high priest one year, one's high priest the next year. And the whole reason is because they're keeping it in the family. Through intrigue, through bribery, through corruption, they're keeping the high priesthood and the wealth of the high priesthood in their family. They're not sharing that wealth with anybody. Caiaphas, he answers them in this holy huddle. He said, you don't know anything. That's a curious thing to say to the religious Sanhedrin. You don't know anything. He said, don't you realize it's better for one man to die than for many to die and our whole nation be lost? Because you see, earlier in their discussion, the Pharisees and Sadducees had said, if we don't do something, Rome is going to step in and they're going to remove us and they're going to take away our place and our position and our power and our authority. Weird, isn't it? Weird. These, are, these are the religious leaders. If you will, please, these are the denominational leaders of their day. Of course, there's only one denomination, right? The temple. They're the leaders. And yet, it, it seems like they're, 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 either, they're either really ignorant or they're willfully blind to the true identity of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things we know for sure, these are not ignorant men. But they're, it's like, it's like they're, they're not getting it. And, and they're, they're, putting, they're putting political correctness cultural relevance ahead of the word of God and the kingdom of God. They're more interested in their position and their power. Now, to be sure, there, there, were, there were Pharisees and Sadducees who believed Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the Son of God. They believed that in their heart. But the scripture says they would not openly say it and they would not defend him before the priests and the other Pharisees and Sadducees. And John makes it very clear why. They feared man more than they feared God. 
Now, what we have going on here is very interesting because there's a, there's a deep spiritual darkness that has come upon the nation. And the house of the Lord is in great disrepair. Look with me at, at what's going on. All at the same time, there's cultural acceptance and political correctness, and that supersedes the word of God and the kingdom of God. Political acceptance and position were a greater value than acceptance by Almighty God. They feared rejection by men more than they feared God. They were willfully blind to the Holy Scriptures and the true identity of the Son of God. Now, this is the interesting thing. It's not that they didn't know the word of God. There's no way that they could have been a high priest without knowing the word of God. And it was required of a Pharisee and Sadducee to have the entire Old Testament memorized. Every word, word for word. It's not that they didn't know the word of God. But it was, but, but they, would, they, they manipulated it, they distorted it to fit their own agenda. And the manifest presence of God and his mighty power was absent from the house of the Lord. So we're back to like it was at the time of Josiah and Hezekiah when those two men became king. The house of God was in disrepair, only now it's in spiritual disrepair. King, Hez or king Herod the Great had completely refurbished the temple and actually enlarged the temple mount what we know today as the Western Wall that you'll often see on the news or you've seen pictures of it, people praying at the Western Wall and putting prayer requests in the little cracks of the Western Wall. That is actually a retaining wall that Herod the Great put there when he enlarged the size of the Temple Mount. It wasn't physically in disrepair. It was in spiritual disrepair. But the Word of God was lost in the house of the Lord just as much as it was in the time of Josiah, even though they had it on multiple scrolls. Even though you had the Essenes down at the Qumran, copying it word for word, meticulously making sure that the word of God was being kept in scrolls. And yet here we are. We're in this deep time of spiritual darkness. Oh, but listen. Look, look, at what, look at how Jesus described it. These are Jesus' words to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Listen to what he said to them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. What did, this almost sounds like reading... Christianity today. Oh, I mean the newspaper today. All across this nation, we have religious movements and pastors in megachurches who are gladly distorting and manipulating the word of God to fit their agenda so that they maintain their place and their position and their power in a megachurch so they don't lose the crowds. And so they're fitting it to cultural 
relevance and political correctness. And in the house of the Lord, the light is going out and darkness is creeping in in greater and greater measure. I haven't changed. Lest you think, wow, it's never been like this. Oh, yeah, it has been. Yeah, it has been before. I shared with you last week about how, how what is today referred to as the Middle Ages because of historical rewrite. But for centuries, it was known as the Dark Ages. And the reason it was called the Dark Ages was because the light had gone out in the house of the Lord. The church had gone monastic. All religious services were done in Latin, not the language of the common people. The common people couldn't own a Bible. And those that, that translated the Bible into the language of the common people, they were martyred, and those Bibles were burned. Keep them in darkness, because if we keep them in darkness, we can manipulate them, and we can manipulate the Word of God to our own end and our own agenda. But I want to tell you, every time it comes to that situation, God turns the light back on. He always turns the light back on. And he's turning the light on today. At this time that we're talking about when Jesus is making his triumphant entry into the city, God has been turning the light on. It started with John the Baptist. He's down at the River Jordan preaching, repent and be baptized. And when some of the Pharisees and Sadducees came, he looked right at them and said, you, you, you bring forth fruit that shows you really have repented and I'll baptize you. <laughs> oh, what a word to preachers, right? Back in the 80s, one of our, one of our church family, they were with us each time of the year when the Washington State Senate and House was in session. She was President Pro Tem. The wife was President Pro Tem of the Washington State Senate. They were wonderful, Holy Spirit baptized, tongue talking, born again Methodists. They lived in Silverdale. They believed it was their responsibility to lead each of their pastors to Jesus. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. In fact, one of, the, one of the guest speakers that was at your church in Ritzville was one of the pastors they led to Christ, and he became quite an evangelist in the Methodist church. Wonderful spirit-baptized brother. But can, can you imagine? But see, that, that's the, the denominations, when they turn the light off, that's what you have. You have professional pastors, but no born-again experience, and they don't bring the manifest presence of God. They may not even bring to you the true word of God. And sadly, we have too many denominations moving that way, and I'm going to tell you right now, sadly, there are individual Pentecostal congregations that are moving that way. But God turned the light on. Here comes John the Baptist. His message to the whole crowd was this. There's one coming after me. I'm not even worthy to tie and untie his shoes. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And here came Jesus. Amen? 
Jesus began his public ministry with this sermon. This was his sermon. Repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And early in his ministry, he went into Samaria, stopped at Jacob's well, a little town of Sychar. He met a woman there, a Samaritan woman, and he gave a great revelation. This was his message to her. It's up on the screen. Would you read it with me? Let's all read it together. Okay, here we go. The hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, now, look at this. Look at this. Jesus is making a dramatic change. He is revealing a mystery that has been hidden there for millennia. The prophets only saw it as a shadow. They didn't see it clearly. But now Jesus is beginning to openly reveal it. And that is this. He tells her, it's, it's, you're no longer, the hour is coming and now is when you will no longer worship God in Mount Gerizim at this temple where the Samaritans worshiped, nor at the temple of Solomon on Mount Moriah where the Jews worship. A change is coming. Now what's that change? The change is this. human body is going to become the temple of God. Wow. Read it with me again, would you? One more time. The hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus was revealing for the first time God is changing the economy. It's always been his desire. It's always been coming. He has proclaimed it as a shadow with the prophets, but the time is now when the body, the human body, every born-again child of God is going to become the temple of Almighty God. Look at how the Apostle Paul wrote about it when he wrote to the church at Corinth. He said, do you not know that you're the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Stop. I'm asking you that question this morning. Do you know that? See, here's what we do. We know it up here. Well, yeah, I know, the Holy Spirit dwells in me. But do you know this second part? Because, see, he wrote that in 1 Corinthians chapter, <laughs> I was going to do it on that screen, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But look, at chapter 6, just three chapters later, he says this. Everyone read it with me together. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? 
Mm-mm. Dramatic change here. He goes on. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They belong to him. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You say you're born again. But do you really understand Holy Spirit lives in you? You're the temple of God. Now watch this. I've got to keep an eye on my time here. As the temple of Almighty God. Listen. As the temple of Almighty God, with that change also comes this dramatic change. A new priesthood. See, when you had the old temple, Solomon's temple, the mount, you had a priesthood. Pharisees, Sadducees. But the light had gone out. It had gone out for 200 years. From the time of Christ, going backward 200 years to the time of Judas Maccabeus, when they finally won their liberty from the Hellenic and they restored the temple from the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. From that point on, the priesthood had begun to corrupt and it was totally corrupt. And there was no restoring it in that order. Almighty God was doing a new thing. And God had prophesied this. All the way back to the prophecy of Joel, as we're going to see in a minute. God had prophesied this day was coming. There's going to be a new temple, and with that new temple, a new priesthood. There has to be a new priesthood. When there's a new temple, there has to be a new priesthood. So now we have the old covenant with the old tabernacle, with the old priesthood, but now, hallelujah, we have a new covenant. Jesus, the giver of the new covenant. We have a new high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And with that new high priest comes a new priesthood. Who's the new priesthood? You are. Look at how he says it in 1 Peter chapter 2. Everyone with me together. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Stop. Who's he talking to? Go ahead and just say it. Me. So here's how we're going to say it. But you, and then say your name. Here we go. Ready? But you, Dean, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Hallelujah. Come on. Give him a praise. You're the priesthood. You're the priesthood. It's no longer just the clergy. I wish I could get this in the mind of everybody. I see it started way, way back in the 4th and 5th century A.D. When they began to move from the priesthood of the believer to the priesthood of the ordained. Finally, in 1517, when 
October 31st, when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis on the door, it began to restore, but it never fully restored. There's been seasons, but we keep going back. And in this season of televangelist and, all, and, and marketing and mega church, we still have it. I can't tell you how it offended me when I first came to Hermiston and I would hear people say, well, nothing spiritually ever happens in Hermiston. We got to get to the, to, the, uh, to the houses of prayer in Spokane. We got to get to Seattle. We got to get to Bethel. We got to get, and I'm going, wait, 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 wait. What are you saying? So are you saying that God is different there than he is here? Jesus is different. He's not as mighty here as he is there. And then they would say, well, you just don't understand. There are people really anointed there. That's how they would say it to me. I go, so we don't have anointed people in Hermiston? Yes, we do. I look all across the city. There's a lot of anointed people here. What are we saying? What we're saying is we're going back to the old order. The old priesthood. And I'm not good enough. I can't get there. I got to get to somebody who is elite and who is good enough. And we do it this. Okay, we're going to get a balanced perspective here now. We go back to Ephesians 4.11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And we go back and say, well, but, but you know, but he's an apostle. He's an apostle. Oh, but he's a prophet. He's a prophet. Do you really understand why he gave apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teachers? Now, I want to stop. These, these are special called leadership. The Romans, 12 gifts. 1 Corinthians, 12 gifts. Those are to the priesthood of the believer. The Ephesians 4, 11 gifts are not for the body. Therefore, the special called out ones that God calls and separates to himself. He even gave us an illustration of this in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. There was at Antioch, prophets and teachers, and they list them out. You have Niger, you have Manaean, those are the house of Herod the Tetrarch, and, 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 and they've got them listed out. But then, listen. The Holy Spirit said, separate to me Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. And when it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, they called them, they laid hands on them, and they sent them forth into their ministry. These ministry gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, these ministry gifts are called men that the presbytery lays hands on and sends them forth and ordains them into that ministry. We even have special qualifications for them in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in the book of Titus chapter 1. This, this is a special called people. Yes! And they're given an authority that the general church congregation doesn't have. Yes! But not to make them the elite and the priests. Why are they here? Verses 12 to 16 tells us exactly why they're here. And I won't take the time to read it for you because we're going to run out of time. 
but I listed it out for you right here. First of all, it says to equip the saints. That's the priesthood for the work of the ministry, serving. I've had people read this. Gave apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher for the ministry of the saints, comma, for the work of the ministry, comma. No, that is not how it is in the Greek. These two things are listed together to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. How come? Because it's the priesthood of the believer. You are a priest unto God. Not me. Well, I am too. But he's called me so I can equip you so you can do the work of ministry. If all of it has to flow through me, are you kidding? how many people can I touch? How are we going to win a city if it all has to go through me? Are you kidding me? Or it all has to go through Pastor Dave or Pastor Terry? Or one of the other pastors. Are you kidding me? There's not enough pastors in this town to win the city. Three people are getting it. For the unity of the spirit and ministry. To bring spiritual maturity to the saints. And for every member to effectively serve and minister. Listen. So the body will build itself up in love. It's not for you to put me on this big high pedestal up here. That's our, that's our, that's the anointed one. We got to get to Pastor Dean. No, 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 no. In one sense of the word, I'm your equal. I'm a priest. I'm, I'm in the priesthood. But another sense of the word, I'm separated because I'm called to be a pastor teacher. In that sense, I'm separated. I have a greater accountability. I'm held to a higher standard. I have a higher requirement. And there's a level of authority that Jesus himself put into my life to serve in this capacity. Not to elite myself, not to be over you, but to serve you and to equip you. Can you see that? We must, we must get this balance back in the house of the Lord. We've got to get this balance back in the house of the Lord so we can truly see the revival Almighty God is wanting to bring because this revival is going to come from you guys. Oh, amen. So with that balance, here's what happens. Here's what happens. You're being equipped to be priests unto your God. You're the priesthood. You're the royal priesthood. You're being equipped for priesthood. Now listen, you're going, I'm not sure I'm buying all this stuff this preacher's saying this morning. I, I get it because this isn't, this isn't the usual. But I want you to see what Jesus said. Let's look at Jesus' own words. How many think Jesus knew what he was talking about? If you believe you, Jesus knew what he was talking about, let me see your hand. The rest of you, what are you thinking? No, I'm kidding. I'm just, just, just joking. Everybody raise their hand. Here we go. Ready? Most assuredly, old King James says, truly, truly. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me. Who's he talking about? Me. Yeah, me. Me, right? Us. Each of us. Every one of us. He who believes in me. Not, he didn't say, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. 
He who believes in me, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, and whenever you get to an evangelist, pastor, teacher, whenever you get to a televangelist, whenever you get to a mega church, no, no, no. Whatever you, I want you to say it this way. Whatever I ask in Jesus' name, that he will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If I ask anything in his name, he will do it. It's, it's, it's real. It's real. The problem is we've got to get layer after layer after layer of old thinking and old ideology off so that you can begin to see your true identity. This is who you are. You must let Holy Spirit change your thinking and change your perspective of who you are and what it means to be a child of God. Because the thinking is always this. Oh, you know, I just, oh, man, I can barely make it. If I can just get it to Sunday and to Pastor Dean. And I can, what? Who are you? Who are you? You're a priest to Almighty God. You can ask anything in the name of Jesus, and he will answer you. Well, then how come we have church, and how come we have pastors, and how come we gather together? Good question. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk about that over coming weeks. Exactly why do we have the church? But let me give you one reason. It's so you can be equipped. I don't know about you, but man, the six weeks I couldn't be here. That first Sunday when I got here, it was like, oh, man, I had just stepped into heaven, and my, my faith and my spirit was soaring and it was renewed because I was among the saints and I was being built up. I was being edified. I hadn't stopped praying. I hadn't stopped reading the word. I hadn't stopped being the man of God that I was. I just needed you in my life. Remember what he said? He said, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build unity in the body to build spiritual maturity so we're growing into maturity and so the body can build itself up in love. That's why we need one another. That's why you need to be here every week. That's why we need the church. But you're the, you're the priesthood. You're supposed to be doing the works of Jesus. So I got a question for you. Are you? You doing the works of Jesus? Well, how's that even possible? How, how's it even possible for a human being to do the works of Jesus? I mean, those are extraordinary. How's that possible? Jesus himself answered that. Look what he said in verse 12. We read it a moment ago. He said, most assuredly I say to you, he that believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also because I go to my Father. 
Well, what's the big deal about that? What's he going to do when he goes to the Father? He answers just a few verses down. I'll pray the Father. He'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to pray the Father. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. And then before he ascends to the Father, he told the apostles this. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. He's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Every believer needs the baptism of the Holy Spirit because every believer is supposed to be a royal priest to Almighty God. And every believer is supposed to be doing the works of Jesus. You cannot do the works of Jesus in your own strength. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus himself said, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The prophet Joel said it this way. But after those days, saith the Lord, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. On my men servants and on my maid servants will I pour out my spirit in those days, saith the Lord. Then he says this, and whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yes. He's talking about the last day revival. He's talking about right this moment. You're supposed to be living every single day in the power and dynamic of the Holy Spirit and doing the works of Jesus. 24-7, 365. That's supposed to be normal Christian living. Are you? Are you? See, it works like this. Stacy, come on. Can I, can I use you for an illustration? Come on up here. I, I called on her because I didn't think she'd get too embarrassed. If she does, she'll just punch me afterwards. So Stacy, so Stacy goes to work tomorrow, and, and there's this gal there that's been sharing with her that she's walking through a really tough time. Her marriage is in trouble. But Stacy is a born-again, spirit-baptized, tongue-talking child of God that can operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And she's been praying for this lady. And as she's been praying for this lady, God's been giving her a word of knowledge. So she goes to work tomorrow, and she sees that gal, and she says, you know, I've, I've been praying for you. Would it be all right if I prayed for you right now? And the gal starts crying. And as she prays for her, she's carrying a little vial of oil, and I'm going to get one of these for every one of you. And she just anoints her with oil and prays for her. And a miracle happens. Now, now, Stacy, God literally wants to do that. There is someone in your life that you've been carrying a burden for. And God's going to give you the opportunity to pray for them. And you're going to see God do something amazing. Father, a powerful anointing daughter, a powerful anointing of the Holy Spirit in the mighty name of Jesus.
seated here. Hallelujah. See how it works? Every day. Every, listen, every day. 24-7, 365. That's why it's important for you not to just pray in tongues one time when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, but to pray in tongues every day. Because the scripture says, he that prays in an unknown tongue edifies himself. You build yourself up in the spirit. You build up your faith. You build up your spiritual walk. Your mind is being renewed in the spirit so that you can have the gifts of the spirit flowing through your life wherever you're at. This is God's will for your life. Now, here's the sad thing. There's some of you, you used to walk in this. But you got discouraged. You went through a difficult season. Went through maybe a, maybe a personal crisis or a church crisis some years ago. You went through a season where you were just personally struggling. You didn't pray in the spirit like you once did. Didn't get in the word every day like you once did. And you just kind of got cold. And now you've come back partway and you're content with being partway. And almighty God says, I'm not content with you being partway. I want you 365, 24-7 inflamed in my Holy Spirit. I want you doing the works of Jesus every day of your life. That's God's will for you. And right now I'm coming against a deception of the enemy because somebody right that moment said, well, that's just not who I am. That is a lie of the enemy. Scripture says that's exactly who you are. Well, but I don't move in those gifts like you. That's because you've not taken the step of faith. The enemy has put a wall. And you've got to cast that wall down. You've got to cast that lie down. That's a deception. God's will for your life is the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the power of Jesus Christ, and you doing the works of Jesus. That's God's will for you. That's the word of God. Cast it down. But you've got to have a mind change, an emotion change, and you've got to have the work of the Holy Spirit. You've got to have it going in you.